You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. And a prayer of hope that they remain safe tonight. We're going to bring you the latest from Washington, D.C. John Woodrow Cox, enterprise reporter at The Washington Post, will join us to kick things off. Plus, an exclusive interview that I did with Senator Tina Smith. She, of course, is the senator from Minnesota. She brings us the latest on the George Floyd judicial case now as a new autopsy finds potentially some new evidence into charges that will be brought against his killer. The latest on that as well. And we'll give you the latest on foreign policy. We're going to check in uh, on the 2020 front as well. And Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C., just uh, announcing that there will be a 7 p.m. Eastern curfew enacted in the nation's capital. This is New York City has imposed a curfew tonight at 11 p.m. And 80 or 8,000 officers, 8,000 officers, uh, according to the New York Police Department, will be out in the Big Apple this evening. All of this comes as the country has grappled with uh, unrest surrounding the death of George Floyd last week. And so much to get through. And this hour, we have every angle covered. The politics, the policy, an interview with a lawmaker, Senator uh, Tina Smith, um, coming up. But I want to begin here in the heart of the nation's capital uh, with uh, John Woodrow Cox. He is a reporter for The Washington Post, uh, and he has been reporting on the protests here in Washington, D.C. John, what do we know about how... Mayor Bowser and the Washington Police and Secret Service uh, and Capitol Police are preparing for this evening. I mean, I think that uh, they were very clearly um, overwhelmed last night. Uh, so I think they've just continued to gear up. I mean, you know, all about 26, 27 hours ago, Mayor Bowser uh, was still sort of saying that they did not intend to have a curfew. Uh, she was reluctant to do that. Um, and then, of course, they they did have a curfew last night at 11. But that wasn't nearly enough. I mean, certainly the, the worst actors uh, didn't uh, respond to that at all. I mean, really, the, the worst of it came after 11 o'clock, the worst looting and the worst um, vandalism. So, you know, I think they're just gearing up in hopes that they can prevent uh, a night like uh, last one. 
So as as things continue to evolve, the business community uh, across the country, but particularly in Washington D.C., what has what have they been saying? I mean, you hear from the family of George Floyd urging there to be peaceful protests, urge, urging there to be a sense of calm, uh, and and to not let this get carried a, 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 away into looting, into violence. But what has the response been from local businesses? Well, you know, a lot of them have closed up. You know, a lot of them, were, they were just maybe starting to, to reopen um, because of the restrictions being lifted uh, related to the pandemic. They're, you know, they're closing again and they're boarding up. You know, we saw lots of businesses in Georgetown, especially about this time yesterday, that were, um, you know, boarding up. And in many cases, that didn't, that didn't help. Uh, those businesses were still, um, were still broken into. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of fear. Certainly, though, there is a lot of support, too. I mean, even among business owners who uh, whose businesses were vandalized, they were still saying that they supported um, the protesters and that they supported the message. So, you know, I think there's a lot of mixed feelings, but certainly there's a lot of fear, too, because people have already uh, struggled through the pandemic uh, to keep their um, businesses open. And now here's another enormous threat. And meanwhile, just to bring uh, some headlines that have been flying this past afternoon, the Associated Press reports that an autopsy commissioned by George Floyd's family found that he died uh, due to neck and back compression uh, when a Minneapolis police officer held his knee on Floyd's neck until he stopped breathing, ignoring his cries of distress. So uh, the 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 case uh, against this police officer uh, will now... Uh, this going to be obviously a, a part of that with regards to the autopsy report that will be wrapped into this as well. Uh, you know, the politics of this with the president uh, talking to attorney generals and governors today, CBS News uh, uh, have catching some of that audio, the president encouraging uh, for for. Um, states to to bring in the National Guard. He was reportedly taken to a bunker. The lights went out at the White House. Just, I mean, the how does that play into what hopefully is not going to be another brash round of, of violent looting and protest tonight, John? I mean, I know, I, I do think that we'll see more of a presence probably from the National Guard tonight. Uh, there were sightings of the National Guard pretty late last night as we, you know, as we approached midnight. Um, you know, the way that the last couple of nights have gone is, is really that the, the violence becomes the worst when the protesters are pushed out of Lafayette Square. Uh, that typically happens a little bit later in the evening. Now there's a 7 o'clock curfew. So what that looks like at seven, when it's still light out, uh, is is really a big unknown. But I know certainly the the hope is from the city that people will disperse at seven uh, before it gets dark, and that they can try to mitigate um, any kind of damage before those late night hours, because they'll be able to, you know, it's at eight o'clock when it's still light out, they'll be able to approach somebody and, and take them off the street if they have to. John Woodrow Cox is on the line. He's an enterprise reporter at the Washington Post. You know, I was struck by this, and I was talking with one of our producers before coming on air about my colleague, uh, Jonathan Farrow of Bloomberg Television, who I thought just really, really did an incredible job of encapsulating this this morning on Bloomberg Television, just of how the markets are totally divorced from the not from the reality of what's going on across the country right now. You've got a market uh, doing well, 
but so many, more than 30 million, 35 million out of work, unemployed, record unemployment levels that we haven't seen since the Great Depression, minority communities disproportionately impacted by that, and now a, a spasm of, of, uh, of civil unrest, to put it mildly, across the country. And, and I'm just, I'm cur- I, I put this question to Senator Tina Smith, and we'll hear from her coming up later on in the program. But, John, I'm curious about how there appears to be a vast, overwhelming majority of these protests to be peaceful, but a spasm of this is clearly violent, is clearly un- unlawful uh, and, and, and looting. And the, the law enforcement has hint, hinted at this. Susan Rice, the former NSA in Obama's White House, said this on CNN yesterday, that there, this appears to be organized in a way that goes beyond just a peaceful protest and that there are bad actors now that are pushing this through. Has law enforcement said anything about that here in the nation's capital, John? Yeah, I mean, they, they've said the same thing, that they've identified groups um, – of people, uh, you know, among the much, much larger group, that there are these sort of factions that do intend on doing real damage, that intend on looting and vandalizing, spray painting buildings, uh, setting buildings uh, ablaze. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we've heard that certainly that same thing. I think it's been consistent really across the country. Uh, you know, where those people are coming from it seems to be sort of an ongoing point of dispute. The, the Last night, the uh, handful of arrests, there weren't that many. I think there were 18, Half about half of those people were from D.C. Um, but certainly there is a group uh, among a much larger group of uh, peaceful protesters. There's a smaller group that intends on doing uh, real damage. All right. John Woodrow Cox, Enterprise Reporter at the Washington Post. He's also working on the book Children Under Fire, uh, a book published with HarperCollins. Come on and talk to us about that. He was also a finalist for the 2018 Pulitzer Prize. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Much more coming up next. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You know, I, I was really, really taken aback, and, and, and I, I got to give props to my colleagues on the Bloomberg surveillance team, Lisa Bramowitz, uh, as well as Jonathan Farrow, and of course, Tom Kane, uh, because the way that they talked about this moment in American history, sometimes it can feel... You know, with so much going on, the pandemic, the riots, uh, the markets, I mean, unemployment, it, it's just coming at so many different, so many different speeds. But they've really been able to uh, to kind of see through the fog and the way that they talked about how the economic reality on Wall Street is just totally divorced, totally divorced from what f- people are feeling right now in the country uh, is is I think something that we're going to be talking about for for a while to come. Earlier today, I spoke with Senator Tina Smith. She's a Democrat from Minnesota about all of this. Take a listen to Senator Tina Smith. Well, I think that anybody who watched that video could see what was happening. It was an act of complete inhumanity of one person against another. And uh, I am not surprised by this information. And it will add to the evidence, I believe, that we need in order to hold uh, these four uh, former Minneapolis police officers um, accountable. And uh, in, as you know, the uh, state attorney general, Keith Ellison, has been tasked to be the prosecutor of this case. And I believe that Keith will 
um, will pursue justice relentlessly, and that's what we need to do. We need to seek the truth and get accountability. What has been going on in Minneapolis? We've seen the scenes play out all across the country of uh, largely peaceful protests with a brash of violence. Uh, here in Washington, D.C., we saw that play out right outside of the White House. What has been, how has this been, what's been going on in your state? Well, last night we had uh, largely peaceful protests, uh, though we did have 150 uh, protesters arrested um, for uh, breaking their curfew. I have seen in my city, and in, in, in not only in Minneapolis, but in cities across the state, uh, people peacefully protesting, lifting up their voices, expressing their uh, grief and their anger and their demand for change. And I also have seen in Minneapolis how neighbors have banded together to protect themselves and to protect their communities from the small number of people who are doing this dangerous and really destructive rioting and looting. looting. And that looting and rioting, rioting and arson is burning down the grocery stores in the communities where people only have one choice. It is burning down these beloved community institutions. So putting a stop to that violence has been extremely important. And we've had now two nights of uh, relative uh, quiet in Minneapolis and St. Paul, and uh, that I think will allow us to move forward to the action that we need to take to address the systemic problems in our police department and in our community. Senator, I was struck by the family members of George Floyd who have come out and called for there to be peaceful protests. What important role do they play here in, in trying to, in, to bring about structural change? Well, the voices of George Floyd's family are voices of such integrity and such power right now. I think that it was George's brother who went to the place where, his, where George lost his life on the corner of 38th and Chicago and said, um, you know, pleaded for peace, pleaded for justice, and uh, said we need to keep his name ringing, which is such a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. I, uh, I, I think that sometimes we need to remember, we always need to remember, uh, this is something that my colleague Cory Booker said, that uh, it's not just about getting rid of the violence, it is about having justice. And, you know, peace without, you know, you have to have both of those things, and that is what we are seeking in Minnesota right now. We are seeking justice. Senator, yesterday uh, on, a, on CNN, Susan Rice, the former national security advisor in the Obama administration, uh, made suggestions that there could be foreign actors that are perpetuating some of the violence in these protesters and that they are organized by uh, groups like Antifa. Uh, do you, do, based upon your conversations with local and state law enforcement officials, do you believe that there are other factors at play here besides just the largely peaceful protesters? Well, the uh, public safety professionals in uh, Minnesota that have been addressing this uh, rash of rioting and looting uh, tell us that there are uh, that there is evidence that this is uh, that there are some number of people from outside of the community that are contributing to this, uh, that it's organized, that it is planned, uh, whether it is on the far left or on the far right, that it is uh, the, there's a large number of vehicles in our community without license plates or with false license plates. Uh, the 
Commissioner Harrington of the Department of Public Safety talked about um, stopping a car with uh, license plates that were expired, and the man immediately tried to douse the car with gasoline, which, as uh, uh, the commissioner said, is not a normal pattern of behavior if you are um, stopped. So I, I think that there is no doubt about there being some of that. How much of it, how pervasive it is, I don't think that we really know. Uh, and the most important thing is that we need to be keeping the peace and allowing us to get justice here and addressing these systemic just challenges that have been so pervasive. Well, I want to talk about those systemic challenges, and that's just my one final question for you. There's been so much talk about a potential next round of economic stimulus, but do you think it's important that included in that next congressional vehicle that there be some type of structural change here uh, incorporated in that type of legislation? Well, I know that there are things that we can do and we must do at the level of Congress. There are also things that need to happen at the state level and the local level. One thing that I have called for is that the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division should do an investigation of the patterns and practice of the Minneapolis Police Department to root out this culture of bias and excessive force that means that you are many times more likely to be targeted for excessive force if you are a, a a black person than if you are a white person. So that is one step that we could take right away with the Department of Justice that wouldn't even require congressional action, and it would allow us to get some accountability in this department. Uh, of course, this is not just about Minneapolis Police Department. We have these challenges in police departments all over the country. That was Senator Tina Smith, a Democrat from Minnesota. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. On a bit dizzy, dizzying day of breaking news here inside of Washington, D.C., again, that curfew for the district uh, being imposed at 7 p.m. Eastern. I want to bring in uh, I want to bring in Adam Goodman, a Republican media strategist, columnist and partner at Ballard Partners in Washington. Adam, you recently wrote a column on The Daily Caller about Senator Amy Klobuchar saying that the headline reading her vice presidential dreams have now gone up in smoke. How come? Well, unfortunately for Amy, uh, as is the case for so many people in public life, she's got a record. And back when she was the uh, lead prosecutor in uh, in, the, in Hennepin County, I think it's called, in Minneapolis, there was a case that was prosecuted where a stray bullet uh, tragically took the life of an 11-year-old girl. Uh, a 16-year-old black teen was accused of having uh, shot uh, the gun uh, that led to the tragic death. And then uh, years later, it was discovered that the case was not only not iron tight, it looked like it was completely flawed. And a 16-year-old black teen maybe spent all these years in prison unfairly and unjustly. And so this is an example of when your record kind of catches up with yourself. 
and where politics meets out punishment deserved or not. And the last thing I think, you know, and I'm a Republican consultant, Kevin, right? So I'm not one to give advice to Joe Biden necessarily. But, you know, you know the cardinal rule of picking a vice president is do no harm. Uh, the last thing he needs, especially in light of what's happened across America and in American cities over the last couple of days, yesterday is to I take a risk with someone like that. Yesterday, I spoke with the senior advisor to the former vice president's presidential campaign, and he and, and I asked this source, you know, what are we going to be seeing from Biden? And, and what the source said was that he's going to continue to be uh, going to uh, rallies like he did in Delaware uh, in peaceful protests uh, in solidarity with the peaceful elements of this movement, and really just trying to trying to draw a contrast with how his administration would handle this versus what we've seen coming from President Trump. You look at the polls, Adam, national polls, Biden has uh, about a 10 percentage point average lead nationally. Now, if you look, it's closer if you look at the electoral polls uh, in, in battleground states. But all right, I mean, how, how would you size up President Trump's response to this? Well, I think uh, he's still getting his sea legs in terms of getting a response that seems to be impactful. I have to interrupt uh, you here. There. I have to interrupt you here because what you said is important, and you're a Republican strategist. You know everyone. You're in the know of all of this. I mean, how does it feel to be a Republican strategist and to, and to say that the Republican occupant of the White House is still getting his sea legs in a moment of American crisis? Well, what he's trying to figure out right now, Kevin, is you're, you're asking the right question. He's trying to figure out, and it's a very difficult question, by the way, when and how. Uh, do you uh, embrace this issue and try to defuse it? Now, we just heard a, a press conference with Mayor Bowser in Washington, who uh, I think has done a tremendous job of leading that city in, up into this crisis. And she learned something over the last 24 hours when she set the curfew at 11 o'clock versus what she said tonight, which is before nightfall. I think there's going to be a world of difference as there was in Tampa and other cities across the country. With the president, what I would if, what I would advise, Kevin, uh, we hear all this talk about an Oval Office address. Uh, what I would suggest that he do is uh, do a listening session uh, with people in the community. He's got to show that he's, uh, he's aware uh, and is on top of what is really underneath this issue. And then I think he should address the American people. Though I wouldn't do it from the Oval Office, unfortunately, we saw his last Oval Office address, which is not his, his strongest bellywick. Uh, if it's safe, I go out to the Rose Garden, flanked by American heroes, and bring it to all of America in one fell swoop. Uh, no, I, and I think that's where that's where I'm hoping he's going to move, Kevin, in the next uh, 24 hours. Adam Goodman's on the line. He's a senior Republican strategist, knows everyone. I'm so appreciative of him to join us on a day like today because I have so many questions. You know, I, and 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 it's. I was thinking about this when I was on my walk today to get coffee. Mm -hmm. I, I mean. Where is the we're in such a moment right now where who is what what you want to see in a moment of crisis is no political party. You want to see Republicans and Democrats standing together side by side as Americans, you know, whether it was Bush and the bullhorn after 9-11, whether it was, you know, a host of different even Chris Christie and Obama. I mean, I mean, that drew criticism for different reasons, but. But you want to see lawmakers being able to, to, to put aside the partisanship. I'm not sure who the president can call right now in the Democratic Party to have, you know, uh, that type of moment, Adam. Well, we haven't seen a unifying uh, event 
in this country since 9-11. I mean, and it, this is you're, so you're now talking about a couple of presidencies as opposed to the current one. Right. Uh, we have just grown that kind of a pardon, that divisive, and having any kind of conversation seems to inevitably lead to I'm right and you're wrong. And so given that that's the environment, and you've seen this in COVID, you would think, for heaven's sake, with something like a health pandemic that is threatening people all across the country that recognizes no borders, no demographics, no state lines, uh, that that would also be a unifying event. It really hasn't been the kind of uh, to this point as it should have been. As we kind of pull together, as we start to see more and more red versus blue, opening versus not really opening, uh, being too careful, not being careful enough. And it's led to, uh, I think, further divisions uh, in America. And so whether the president uh, gives hourly addresses or he doesn't have a public address for 48 hours, half the country, the better part of half the country is going to find something to take uh, exception to. And anything he does, doesn't do, anything he says or doesn't say. And one more thing, Kevin. Uh, this is a very – this particular issue, I, I was – I'm going to date myself. I was very much alive and aware of what was going on in 1967 after the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jr. It was a very scary time. I was living in Baltimore. In Baltimore, like Philadelphia, uh, like Wilmington, New York, Boston, all the – almost every major city, Los Angeles – uh, the parts of those cities were literally burning. Uh, and the tragedy of it was, one, uh, it, the people getting most hurt there were African-Americans. It happening mostly in black communities. And the second thing was almost a sense of helplessness uh, and, a, and a desire, a unifying desire to get some measure of control so that we could secure ourselves, protect ourselves, feel we could get up the next morning and be okay. Some of these scenes that we've seen played out, over the last four or five days have been very reminiscent of that, even though they're not yet to, and hopefully never will be, to the scale of what I experienced and some of the other Americans did in 1967. Right. But it is a tough thing to unify when emotion is at, is at its rawest pitch. And I right. think that's where we are right now. Adam, do me a favor. Stay with me um, for another question. I got another question for you. Adam, stick around uh, over the break. Uh, coming up, we're going to check in with Max Burns as well. Keep it right here. A lot more to get to with a veteran in all of these issues. Uh, Adam's still going to be with us. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and for Bloomberg Radio. Shout out to Charlie Vollmer, Christine Murata, and Matt Shirley for all of their tireless efforts behind the scenes in terms of navigating through uh, all of this. Uh, joining us still on the line is a friend of the program, someone who I am incredibly grateful to have on, especially on a day like today. Adam Goodman, he's a Republican media strategist, columnist, uh, columnist and partner at Ballard Partners in Washington and uh, D.C. I want to ask you and continue the conversation that we were having uh, before this, which is really about this notion of where does President Trump go tonight? What I mean, because every American tonight who has on the news will be watching, no doubt, the images of cities around the country and. America wants a leader. And, and we were talking about different strategies that the president could deploy and that Democrats could deploy. But if you were inside of the White House tonight, what would you advise President Trump to do this evening? Well, again, I, I think he has to address the nation. One of the things that you learn in crisis 
is the more you can share with the public, the more information you can share, uh, the more updates you can share, the more calming the situation generally becomes. Silence is, is kind of deadly. So that is not really an option to be pursued. But there's an underbelly to all of this. And, you know, you have a lot of uh, history, uh, Kevin, in Pennsylvania. Uh, as did I early in my career uh, in Philadelphia. And I was, like so many, seeing those pictures in yeah. the, down, the streets of downtown Philly where they're trying to haul down uh, the statue of Frank Rizzo. For Rizzo yeah. uh, Fr- Frank Rizzo was one of my, was truly my first uh, political client, if you want to put it that wow. way. And I learned a lot from him. But what I learned from about law and order, and about that kind of kind of strong figure uh, is that it's often a very unpopular place to be. Rizzo had an undercurrent of unpopularity that rivaled the worst days of the current president. And yet, come Election Day, in that city, which is a tough city to run, he always seemed to come back almost like 15 points overnight because the one thing he represented was law and order, that you could take that to the bank, the one thing that Frank Rizzo stood for was keeping people safe. And in this age of COVID-19 and with all these other contentious uh, uh, things going on between the parties and the candidates and the campaigns, the one thing we all pray for is security and safety. And anyone that can bring us that is going to win not only our confidence, but our vote. That is the new fight, I think, Unbelievably, a week after it seemed COVID would go on maybe for a very long time as a undisputed front burner issue, that is becoming maybe the issue of this campaign, the issue of the moment. And this is where the strength of someone like Donald Trump may actually be uh, unseen until the very end. See, I hear you on this. I mean, and I could, this is why I'm so appreciative you came on tonight because I hear you on this, you know, and, and I covered. Listen, I mean, I covered uh, the Joe Paterno statue, and hardly am I equating mm-hmm. Frank Rizzo to Joe Pa and, and all of this. But, you know, think back to Nikki Haley and the Confederate flag in South Carolina. You know, and I spoke with a senior source on president's reelection campaign over the weekend. And, and look, I mean, all the reports of uneasiness amongst the ranks in terms of staffers on the president's reelection campaign effort around the country, those are very true. And, 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 you know, you look at the Bush political orbit, you look at the Nikki Haley, Marco Rubio wing of the Republican Party, you look at the comments coming uh, from Kathy McMorris Rogers in terms of a more calm, soothing, prayerful approach uh, mm-hmm. to try to heal. And so I hear you in terms of, of the law and order, and I absolutely agree. My reporting backs it up that that's what the president's going to double down on. Um, but these statues, like whether it's Frank Rizzo or whether it's Joe Pa, they become symbols for different parts of the country. And I just, I wonder, and unfortunately we're going to find out, I wonder uh, if it's a different time in terms of where these symbols go, Adam. What, I want to give you the that's final a, word. That's, uh, Kevin, that's a great perspective. That is the right question to ask. Thank the you. answer is unknown. The one thing I can just I, I hope everybody feels is that, History is a great teacher uh, of what we to do or not do as we move into the future. I hope we don't destroy history simply because in the here and now we don't disagree with parts of it as opposed to learn from history and bow in places where it didn't work or shouldn't have been that we never go that way again. Adam Goodman, 
friend of my program. Thank you. Republican media strategist, columnist, and partner at Ballard Partners in Washington. Uh, always offering fascinating historical insights. Incredibly, incredibly grateful. And, you know, I mean, I was just thinking about this. The one thing I think we could all use right now is a football game. Something just to bring our country together. And in fact, I mean, I brought up Penn State. I'll never forget that. After all of the atrocity there at that community, there was a football game that weekend and uh, everyone, there was a vigil uh, that week uh, for all the victims at the Jerry Sandusky thing. I, 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 America needs a vigil. America needs to come together and hopefully we'll get that. All right, let's reset. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and for Bloomberg Radio. I also want to give a shout-out to Maruful Hossein, who has uh, just recently joined our team as well, and he's been working with tirelessly behind the scenes uh, to help uh, the Sound On uh, family uh, as well. Uh, and we're appreciative for all of that. Okay, let's get to Max Burns. He's a Democratic strategist. He's joining us on the line. Max uh, you just heard from Adam Goodman. I mean, what what do Democratic lawmakers need to do tonight uh, to help bring healing and peace uh, to the country and to hopefully get to a point of structural change from a policy perspective uh, on civil rights? Well, I think we need to start planning for tackling this in a serious bipartisan way without the support of the White House. And what has been lost in in the current controversy and where is Donald Trump. We've all understood now that Donald Trump is not going to lead on this issue. But what we can't forget is that there are Democrats and Republicans in this country in every state who believe what happened to George Floyd was wrong, who believe in criminal justice reform, and we need to get ready to lead with them. Uh, It's just a lot harder without a president that's willing to help. So, so in terms of the structural changes, we talk a lot about an economic stimulus and your conversations with lawmakers uh, and, and staffers on uh, on different uh, members of offices. Do you think that the next congressional vehicle is going to have to I don't see how it doesn't have to include some type of criminal justice, civil rights reform language in it, uh, it, it, it you know, and not just, you know, uh, economic stimulus? Absolutely. And I think we see that already. We had a big bipartisan uh, show on the Hill of uh, support with Nancy Pelosi on the debt and the deficit, which was not even on Americans' radars. Uh, Criminal justice reform is the defining issue, not just of 2020, but of this generation. And what doesn't take place in Congress has to take place in state houses and in local communities across the country. All right. What are you going to be looking for tonight? Well, as a New Yorker, you know, it's a tough time to be a New Yorker. It's a tough time to be an American. I'm going to be uh, hopefully going out and observing some of the protests tonight. We have our first curfew in New York City since 1943. So it's very difficult to, to predict how anyone will respond to this. It's a situation most of us have never seen in our lives. It really is fascinating. All right, Max Burns, thank you for joining us uh, on a Really busy news day. And um, just a reminder, folks, that there is a 7 p.m. curfew here in Washington, D.C., um, and we will have continuing coverage throughout the night as well as tomorrow cross-platform uh, on Bloomberg Television and on Bloomberg Radio. You can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcasts on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. My gratitude and my thanks to all of our guests uh, for making today's programming 
uh, hopefully informative and uh, hopefully informative. You know, stay safe out there tonight, everyone. Thank you for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.